0: Our scripture reading, which Pastor Tony will be preaching from, is um, from 2 Corinthians 4 as printed in your bulletins. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Thus far, the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. (laughs) Lord, give Pastor Tony a strong and deep measure of your spirit this morning in bringing your truth, your truth, to us. Thank you for his heart. Give each of us hearts that desire to hear your truth in love. Encourage those who are apart from us and in the children's worship this hour, too. May your word be fruitful for your kingdom wherever it is shared we don't want to come away without being changed by your spirit because we know that is that is your will and your love for us amen please be seated
1: Good morning, Christ Christchurch. I uh, had the opportunity uh, to see your pastor a couple of weeks ago as he uh, worshiped with us at New City Fellowship, and I've uh, been praying for him uh, in his sabbatical that it would indeed be a sabbatical and that he would uh, be rested uh, and renewed uh, in his family as well. And I have been praying for you as well, that God would fill you. Uh, with everything good for doing His will. There's a song that says, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus you're the center, and everything revolves around you, Jesus, you, at the center of it all. For the Apostle Paul, the person of Jesus, was most certainly the center of it all. The central message of his preaching, of the good news he proclaimed to Jew and Gentile alike, men and women alike, slave and free alike, was the message about the person of Jesus. In fact, in this very text, he speaks of the light of the gospel as being the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And he speaks of the knowledge of the glory of God, the knowledge of who God is, as being in the face of Jesus Christ, that is, in His person. Jesus is the one through whom we know God and the one through whom we are brought back into right relationship with that God. The forgiveness of our sins, that is the turning away of God's anger toward us for rebelling against his laws and corrupting our lives and the lives of others, comes through Jesus. The new life that is now working in us who believe, that is teaching us to say no to what is evil and unjust and yes to what is right and good comes through Jesus. The restoration of the human community divided uh, across all of our prideful boasts in our own group comes through Jesus. Our hope of resurrection, of not having death be the final decision over us, and the hope of a new world where none of the corrupting or destructive influence of our rebellion will ever again be found comes through Jesus. When the songwriter declares Jesus as the center of it all, he is only repeating what has been the proclamation of the Scriptures, what was and is the centerpiece of Paul's preaching of the gospel. It's Jesus. And I want you to hear me this morning, brothers and sisters, what, what we have as the church to offer to our children, to our families, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers, and even our enemies, is the good news about Jesus. We're called out to tell them that in Jesus, the glory of the God who created them is found. In Him is restoration back to that God and to all the benefits that relationship with Him brings, not only for themselves, but in their relationships with others, as well as the way they live their lives in this world. In these few verses, Paul speaks to the ministry of proclaiming the person Of Jesus. And while it appears clear from the text that Paul is taking on critics who have attacked him personally as well as the gospel message that he has proclaimed, Paul does not speak in the first person singular here. Instead, he speaks of a we, a collective who have received this ministry of making Jesus known, of serving God in the preaching of the gospel about His Son. And even if it is His traveling companions that Paul has immediately in mind, the work of proclaiming Jesus as Paul himself testifies in other places is the work of the whole church and its ministry labors. This calling, brothers and sisters, is not the job of a select few, it's not the job of the professionals it is the job of everyone who has met Christ and who trust him as lord all i'm saying is is that if you are a christian you are in that we that paul identifies and so is every other church In this community where Jesus is proclaimed as Savior and Lord. And so, as every other believer who proclaims Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are doing this work of gospel ministry together with those who profess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And gospel ministry reflects indeed what we are doing together. What Paul describes as preaching not ourselves, but Christ as Lord. So, I want to ask a question this morning and reflect it for a few moments with you from this text. What are some of the elements that characterize this gospel ministry that we have received from God? The first thing I want us to reflect upon this morning, one of those elements is mercy. It's mercy. Paul says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. It's clear from the text that the Apostle Paul grounds the ministry of the gospel, which we proclaim, in something other than what his critics grounded, their message about Christ. It's important to say that that Paul's critics are those who claim to be presenting the true message about Christ over against what Paul is proclaiming. Yet, whereas Paul's critics are grounding their ministry in their own credentials, a point that Paul alludes to in chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 and alludes to in verse 5 of this chapter, the ministry Paul says we have is grounded not in our credentials, it is grounded in the mercy of God. It's clear from what Paul writes in other parts of this letter that his critics did not find him impressive in his physical presence nor in his preaching skills. Indeed, Paul speaks to the latter in chapter 11 when he says, if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things, and in this first letter to them in chapter two, he says, "And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the, Spirit's, uh, demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." though his critics attacked his ministry for what they perceived as its unimpressive presentation, Paul did not let this discourage him. He did not lose heart over this. In fact, he was not ashamed of the unpolished look of his ministry. Why? It's because the ministry did not rest on his presentation. Its power and effectiveness was not rooted in some external show of skill or talent. Paul wasn't Uh, Paul wasn't against skill or talent, but believed the gospel ministry was not grounded in it. Instead, he knew that it was grounded in nothing other than the mercy of God. Paul wasn't called because of his impressive presence. He wasn't called because of his impressive presentation. He wasn't called because of his skill or talent. He was called by the mercy of God. He was called because God loved showing compassion toward weak people. Love showing forgiveness towards sinful people. He was called because God loves taking what looks to the world as weak and foolish and displaying the greatness of his power through it. His critics saw the weakness of his presence and the weakness of his presentation and mocked. Yet every time Paul looked at his weakness and the fact that God had called him anyway, he saw mercy. (laughs) No wonder, he says later, In this letter, in chapter 12, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The call to gospel ministry, which is the call of the church as a whole, is grounded, brothers and sisters, in the mercy of God. When people encounter us, when people encounter us, they should encounter us not as a people who are resting our laurels on our credentials, whatever we think those are, but rather when people encounter us, they should encounter us as a people who recognize, believe that we have received the mercy of God. Indeed, when people encounter us as the church, they should encounter that mercy, that compassion and forgiveness that is extended by God. To the weak and sinful. Brothers and sisters, recognition that the gospel ministry was rooted in the mercy of God manifested itself in Paul's life through his attitude. Paul was not puffed up in himself, he was not arrogant or boastful in the wrong sense like his critics. Even when Paul boasted, he boasted not in his credentials, but in his weaknesses. If this vision bears fruit in our lives as Christians and in the eyes of our neighbors in this community, then it will be because people encounter us as a people who do not boast in how great we are, but in how fortunate we are (laughs) that we have received the mercy of God. In our attitude toward each other and toward our neighbors, our boast must be the mercy of God and Christ shown to people who do not deserve it. And this attitude is worked in us through reminding ourselves every day of this truth, reminding ourselves in our public preaching of the gospel, reminding ourselves in our training of leaders and volunteers, reminding ourselves in the way we respond to people who are sinning and straying from the gospel, reminding ourselves in our approach to the poor and the needy and the marginalized and the rejected in our community. Mercy changed Paul's attitude, and it should change ours as well. We have this gospel ministry not because we are great, but because God is merciful. Amen, people of God. So, one element of this gospel ministry is mercy, another is truth. Listen to the Apostle Paul again in verses 2 through 4. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul speaks not only of the mercy of God as a characteristic of a gospel ministry, but to a commitment to the truth, the truth that we have received, and as we have received it in the Word of God. When Paul speaks to renouncing disgraceful, underhanded uh, ways, refusing to practice cunning and tamper with the Word of God, he implies that his critics aren't committed to the same pattern of life. Indeed, they, in their desire to destroy Paul's ministry in Corinth, were committed to a whatever it takes approach. They were completely comfortable in the world of disgraceful and underhanded tactics, comfortable in the world of deceit, comfortable in the world of tampering with the Bible's message if it meant making Paul's message appear false. Remember, brothers and sisters, that these were professed Christians. Uh, We ain't talking about the world. (laughs) We are talking about church folk, that Paul's critics were comfortable in the world of lies and disgraceful tactics only showed how far their hearts were from the truth. Their commitment to deceitful practices showed that while they may have preached God's word and preached about his son, they were not bound to that truth of the word or the truth of the message about Christ. And don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. There are folk like that even today in the Christian community Jesus warned us to be on lookout for such people in Matthew 7. Watch out for false prophets, he said. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Paul's words toward the critics to the gospel ministry he has been committed to all along with all those who profess Christ in truth may seem harsh to some. But Paul spoke on the basis of their actions. The fruit of their ministry was evident in the disgraceful, underhanded, deceitful way they went about it. Paul notes them as on the road to destruction and as unbelievers blinded by Satan's lies, unable to see the glory of Christ because of their commitment to those lies. In contrast, contrast, true gospel ministry is rooted in an open statement of the truth, a commitment to presenting God's Word and the message about His Son as we have received it from Him. When Paul says, Open, he means plain for everyone to see. We want people to be able to do what is reported about the Berean believers in Acts 17. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul is effectively saying there is no hidden agenda in our gospel ministry. And this is important, not only to say, but to be committed to because people do often hide their agendas behind the word of God. One of the agendas of Paul's critics was clearly financial gain. Paul alludes to this earlier in the letter in chapter 2, saying, For we are not like so many peddlers of the word of God, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Others, of course, have Uh, other agendas, such as political agendas, that they hide behind the Word of God. But to join in gospel ministry means resisting the temptation to hide our selfish and self-promoting agendas behind the Word of God. God did not put us here. Listen to me, people of God. God did not put us here to help further someone's political, material, or ideological agenda. He put us here to preach the truth, the truth as it is presented to us by God in His Word and in the message about His Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will preach that truth openly, inviting everyone to examine the Scriptures for themselves as we proclaim it. Amen. The call here in applying this is not to be enticed into the same deceitfulness that we see in our critics or our opponents. We live in a culture, we live in a culture we're openly lying to curry favor or to advance one's agenda is commonplace. Contrary to the belief of some, Jesus' call to be wise as serpents isn't a call to lying. It's a call to knowing how to carry the truth and to wield it rightly in a context where we are surrounded by enemies. Yet we live in a culture in which lying or misrepresenting the truth is everywhere. And to hear Christians defending people who lie simply because they represent their interests is grieving. Paul's opponents, in speaking about his presentation of the gospel, simply weren't telling the truth. The church in Corinth was believing those lies because the super apostles, as Paul called them in another place, satisfied the Corinthians' love of great oratory, of knowledge. It was grieving to Paul's heart the bottom line for us, church, is that we must be truth-tellers. We must be a people who tell it like the Bible says it is, even when doing so brings us into disfavor with particular people or groups of people. Yes, love must always characterize our speech, always, but so must the truth. Of course, telling the truth means listening to know what truth is being applied and at what time. Yet this is why the Spirit Is in each and every one of us. Amen. Jesus told us when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you things that are to come. The truth is now contained in these 66 books of the Bible, but the same Spirit is in each and every one of us to teach us how to speak that truth into the lives of others. So gospel ministry, it is characterized by the mercy of God. It is characterized by truth. And lastly, brothers and sisters, it is characterized by service. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says again in verses 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, gospel ministry, as Paul presents it in this text, is characterized, again, by mercy and truth, but it's also characterized by service. Uh, Paul's words that we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus as Lord, strikes at the center of his critics' issue. They are self-promoters. In the end, though they are talking about Jesus, they are really preaching themselves. Their boast is in their oratory. Their boast is in their physical presence or their charisma. Their boast is in their ability to draw a crowd. Their boast is in their material wealth. All this is rooted in self-promotion. But Jesus, Jesus in their gospel ministry is little more than the lens through which people get to see not Jesus but them. They are the show. It's their names on the billboard. <laughs> they are the marquee. Jesus is simply a means to an end. But Paul says, in essence, that while they are promoting themselves, admiring their own reflection in the mirror of their earthly successes, we are preaching Jesus. You see, we know what obviously has escaped their attention while they were looking at themselves in the mirror. We know that it was not to any of them that God said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. (laughs) ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. We know that it was not to any of them that God said, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a like, for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. We know that it was not to any of them that God said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We know that it was not to any of them that it was declared, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we'll just let them keep looking at themselves in the mirror their own successes, patting themselves on the back for their great skill, their impressive resumes, their great material wealth. In the meantime, we will preach the true Lord over all the earth, Jesus Christ the Lord. In fact, brothers and sisters, more than this, we will not only preach him, but we will take the appropriate posture of those called out by him to proclaim the gospel concerning him. For his sake, we will take the posture of servants, both inside the church And outside of it, to the community around us, we will do as our Lord did. We will wrap a proverbial towel around our waist and bend down toward the dirtiest parts of people's lives, washing their feet. Though we are free in Christ, for the sake of his glory, we will make ourselves servants. We will enter into the dirtiest places, the places of abandonment. The places of abuse, the places of injustice, the places of homelessness, of imprisonment, of abortion and the like. We will go into places like that with the towel around our waist, ready to serve, ready to prepare people to see what they can only see by God's act of grace. For God who said, "Let light shine out of darkness," has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ, which is in the face, the glory of God, which is in the face of Jesus Christ. While we are not brothers and sisters, the source of that light. We have been charged as servants with holding that light out to others, trusting God to do His work of making that light shine in people's hearts. And so, joining in gospel ministry means partnering with those who have this mentality. Christ Church, I have a question for you. Are you ready to put on towels, to go wash the proverbial feet (laughs) of people in your community. (laughs) I pray that all God's churches would be known as servant churches. We should not just be known for preaching justice, but doing it. We should not just be known for preaching mercy, but doing it. Not just known for preaching care, but doing it. When we show up as Christians in a community, the question should be the question Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Are you kidding me? What kind of God shows up and asks broken people, what do you want me to do for you? When God shows up, we would think that we would be asking him that question. (laughs) But our Lord comes to broken people and asks, What do you want me to do for you? I wonder how many churches show up at the doors of broken people asking, What do you want us to do for you? We are good at saying, Here is what we are going to do for you. Here's what what we know you need. Here's what we have ascertained through our own assessment of you in your neighborhood. Yet application of this servant characteristic of gospel ministry would have us asking the question that Jesus asked. So I hope, I hope, Christ Church, that your ministry labors are begun with that question in mind. If so, if so, you will be an effective gospel partner in your community as you bring to bear through your ministry that in the gospel Jesus has come to do in all of our lives. What only He can do for us. Set us free from the powers of sin and death in this life, in the life to come. Amen, people of God. Amen. Gospel ministry is ministry where Jesus is at the center. It's ministry aimed at drawing people toward Him in whom the light of God's glory shines fully. In order for this to happen, such ministry must be characterized by God's mercy by an embrace of the compassion of God and His forgiveness as the grounds for the ministry call, by an open statement of the truth of God's Word, resisting deceit and cunning, which is rooted in promoting ourselves rather than Christ, and by service aimed at helping people see the one in whom God's glory shines fully. Christ Church, may your gospel ministry keep Christ at the center. And may it be characterized by these same elements that characterize the ministry of Paul and of all of God's people who preach the gospel in the scriptures. Amen, people of God. (laughs) Let me pray for you. Father God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this gospel ministry, this ministry of proclaiming the person and work of Jesus we thank you, Lord God, that you have put your spirit on the inside of us and empowered us by that same spirit to proclaim the good news of Christ in our community and our world. Bless us. Bless Christ Church that indeed their ministry would be characterized by mercy, by truth, and by service. And Lord, may people stream to this place. May they stream to this place to meet Christ, to meet the Savior and Lord of all the earth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.